may you just be reminded and encouraged of who God is and what he is doing in our lives, which coincidentally is exactly what we are talking about today. Uh, Today being the second Sunday of Advent, we're kind of building off of what John talked about last week. Uh, There's some some very statements there on the screen, but I, I wanted to highlight a couple very powerful, very true things that John pulled out of the scripture from last week regarding the hope that we have because we've been set free from sin. John shared about how we are more than just forgiven. Now, I, and this, this is something that like maybe we know to be true as Christians, but the more I thought about it, I realized I, I forget that I am more than just forgiven. I have been set free. You know, like, like forgiveness is, is nice because it, it makes me feel like, okay, what I've done has been wiped away. But forgiveness also frees me to live differently, and, and I, I, I needed to hear that last week. So I hope you guys did too. We are more than forgiven. We've been set free from our sin. The Holy Spirit passes us through Christ's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and, and even more, his enthronement. Church, and how great a hope that is that the Savior that we serve is right now sitting on the throne. This is not some far-off hope that we are having to wait from. It is, it is alive, and it is above everything. It is available to us right now. And because of that, John also shared we should not accept sin. It's no longer our default. When, when we have given our lives to Christ, you know, we've put our faith in Jesus' name, that is not who we are anymore. And he read some scripture about that that we're actually going to touch on later today. It, it, it perfectly kind of gives this picture, but it is... There is a lot of hope. There is the only hope we have for life found in Jesus Christ. And it also perfectly plays off of where we left off of two weeks ago as we've been moving through the book of Exodus. For those of you guys, if this is the first time uh, that you've heard Exodus mentioned here on Sunday, because we haven't been there in a little bit, we have been walking through the book of Exodus following up the first kind of three months of sermons that I got to do when I was here where we were just asking the question, you know, what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean, uh, like, for us to be a church body following God? We've moved into Exodus because Exodus is the story of God kind of forming his people in the wilderness, that God is teaching a people who don't really know him that well, what does it mean to be his His children, to be his representatives on earth? And, and church, that is... That is us. If, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we're gathering together as a body of believers, we are, we are to reflect God to everybody on earth. So what does that look like for us? That is, that is a question that is very deep and very long, which is why we're going through an entire book of the Bible to answer it. Uh, we are in Exodus chapter 6 today. I will most likely cover the entire chapter, and, and you're going to see that there's a genealogy with a lot of names and we're going to read them, in, in, in church, when we get to that point, I promise that the genealogies in the Old Testament are super cool. So don't check out when you see all the names, because it, just why it's there and what's being done and communicated, powerful stuff. We are in chapter 6, following up two weeks ago, we were in chapter 5. And just to remind you guys of where we're at, we left off in chapter 5, there was no hope for the people of God which is also why John's sermon last week was perfectly timed. But in chapter 5, if you guys remember, God's people start to go to Pharaoh, and they start to tell them, you know, they're faithful to the work that God has called them to do, and Pharaoh makes their lives miserable. 
He, he increases their workload. He makes their slavery worse. And out of that, they go back to God. And they're like, what in the world are you doing, Lord? Like, we're being faithful to you. And you're making our lives miserable. You've made them worse. We wish we were in slavery. That was more peaceful than what we're currently at now. And we talked about how their response shows us some of the unhelpful or or wrong assumptions that we have uh, when it comes to God's restoration work. That sometimes we think we'll get earthly comfort or we'll maintain earthly standing or that we'll see immediate fruit. And I don't know if I shared this in the sermon, but just so you know, that that one is, is my hardest one to deal with. That... You know, I almost expect, God, if I'm faithful to you, we should see something happening immediately. And, and so did Moses. And it got to the point where Moses turns to God and he says, God, why are you allowing this evil to happen? Oh, and by the way, you haven't done what you've promised yet. And guys, there are, there are many seasons of life that you go through where those two may be very prevalent thoughts that you have in your head. God, why are you allowing this to happen And God, you haven't, it feels like you've not done what you promised yet. And that was a, it was an awkward place to have to leave you guys off. So I'm glad John came back with, with the message of hope. And and we're going to see God's answer to his people today in Exodus chapter six. This is beginning in verse one. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And just notice how many times God is making sure his name is known. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now the fun part. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, these are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, these are the clans of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans, the sons of Kohath, 
Amran, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Now Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Puthiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. And Moses ends where we're going to end today in chapter 6. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. God, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for how you, you answer us, Lord, in our moments of struggle. God, as we saw last week, it, it is very difficult for us to follow you, Lord. We, we have a hard time comprehending just what it is to bear your image. And Lord, sometimes we, we make it further complicated because in our struggles, Lord, we, we, just, we have wrong expectations. We're not quite sure what you're doing, but it doesn't match what we think it ought to be. And so it just it makes us discouraged, Lord. As we are in this Advent season, Father, and as, as you are preparing us to celebrate the birth of your coming Messiah, God, and all that you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that you would remind us of the preparation work, of the, the work by faith that you are doing within us that we are going to examine from your word this morning, that we have sung about in our songs, Lord, and that we will continue to, to remember and to reflect on in communion and singing again. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen. So Exodus chapter 6, like we said, it's God answering what the people were struggling with in chapter 5. And the, there's three things that God is going to remind us of. When, when, when God reminds us in our sinful struggles, he reminds us of his nature, of our identity, and his ultimate work of restoration. So God's answer to, to when we are struggling, our main point this morning, God reminds us of his nature, our identity, and his ultimate work of restoration. And, and another way to think about this, he, he reminds us of who he is, of who we are to him, and the work that he's about doing. So we're going to see all of this on display here in chapter 6. First beginning... With God's answer to our pain and suffering, he begins by reminding us of his nature, of who he is. If you look back in verse 2, you see the, the very first thing God tells to Moses is he's encouraging him to be faithful. He says, I am the Lord. He gives his name again to Moses. And in the Old Testament, names are very powerful things. To, to give someone your name is to share the fullness of who you are to them. And, and that is most true for our God when he says, I am the Lord. The Hebrew there, Ani Yehovah, which gets shortened to Yahweh, the name 
of God. God is reminding Moses, this is who I am. Every part of who I am is wrapped up in my name. We see in verse 3, God reminds Moses of his relationship, that he is a he is an all-powerful God, and he is a relational God. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He says, I am the God of these people. I am the God of the Israelites. But he also says, but I am their God even if I hadn't given them my name fully yet. We saw back in Exodus 3, this was something that was special to Moses, that God is actually sharing all of who he is with. So again, he's reminding Moses of who he is. He's reminding Moses he's the God of these people, the Israelites. Verse 4, we see he reminds Moses that he, he has a covenant with his people, that he is a God that has a designed relationship with them, that they are his people. He is their God. Verse 5, we see that, that this is not just some like formal transaction taking place or a distant relationship. This is a very intimate relationship where God tells them, look, I have heard my people. I know exactly where they're at. I know exactly what they're going through, and I have remembered my covenant, and I will fulfill my covenant. All of this God is bringing to Moses, and, and it's, it's powerful, church, to, to just know that when we are in our moments of struggling and wrestling with, with sin, you know, whether we know him and we've been redeemed to him or we're not, what, what God desires us to know first and foremost is who, who is he? That he desires to remind us of his nature. Bert read Isaiah 40, uh, verses 3 through 5 earlier. It's, it's a prophecy in the Old Testament that, that is talking about the coming Messiah. And, and we know this, and we get a little bit more background on this verse from the Gospel of Mark. Because Mark records this, and he pairs it with a verse out of Exodus when he says... I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And Mark goes on in chapter 1 to show that, yes, this, this verse and, and this book is talking about Jesus that's coming. That John the Baptist is the one that has prepared the way for the people in the New Testament to receive Jesus, to, to see who he is as God's revelation come to mankind. But Mark, he also shows Jesus fulfills this too, that Jesus prepared the way of the Lord, the way of God for you and for me, because in coming to us, he showed us all of who God is. And as he lived, as he died, as he was raised again, he pointed us to the God that we were made for life for. And in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he made that life possible. So church, we see two different things going on in the New Testament in Jesus and in the Old Testament right here in Exodus. And, and guys, it is so cool when we come to scripture and we see the same thing playing out. Because at this point in Exodus, we have seen God sees his people in their slavery, their bondage to Egypt. And he sees them, he hears their cries, he knows their struggle, he sees their, them physically in pain and being beaten and being abused. And the very first thing he does is he raises up one in his likeness who is going to reveal who he is to his people so that he can bring them back into a relationship with him. This is the work that we have seen God doing in Moses 
the first five chapters, and we're going to see it especially on display as the people, I guess to give you a spoiler, the people are going to go through the deliverance work in the next six chapters of Exodus. But this is the exact same thing we see God doing in Jesus Christ that we celebrate, especially this time of year. That God sees you and I in our bondage, in our slavery, not not to the physical nation of Egypt, but to sin, to brokenness. And what God has done is he has raised up one in his image, just like him and just like you and me in Jesus Christ, so that we would know who this God is we were made for life. And not just know who he is, but have a way to be brought back from our sin, from our slavery to sin, into a right relationship with him. Church, it's, it is fascinating to get to see the parallels between what God is doing in Moses here and what God continued to do in his son Jesus Christ in the New Testament, which is exactly what we are celebrating this year. And hopefully what we celebrate every day, church. I mean, we would, we would not be here if it was not for life in Christ. So as we celebrate this season of preparation and faithfulness, guys, I, I want to encourage you, just may we remind one another and be reminded of who God is. That, that fundamental to you and I being healed from, from sin, from the brokenness that exists in our lives, we have to know who God is. And this is why one of our values, actually two of our values here at, at New River Fellowship are sharing and experiencing God. Right, We want to know who he is. We want to make him known. Another one of our values, we value reconciliation to God and others. Not only do we want to know God and make him known, we want to be right with him. And we want everybody we encounter, we want to bring them to be right with God as well. Because we see God desires for us to know who he is. And when he comes to us in our struggling and our doubts and in our frustrations and our anxieties, what he does is he reminds us first and foremost of his nature. We see from these verses, and this is not an exhaustive list of all of who our God is. We, we are not going to comprehend that this side of eternity. But from these verses, church, be encouraged. In verse 2, we see that he alone is God. He is the Lord. He is the one who has created and ordained and sustains all of, all of life. He's one who has made and purposed and created and crafted all of you and, and me as individuals. Verse 3, we see he desires us to know who he is. He is a relational God. He didn't just make us and cast us aside. He, he made us to know him. Verse 4, that the fact that he has a covenant that exists, he desires us to be in a relationship with him. Verse 5, he knows us intimately. He hears us. He knows where your hearts are at. He knows the struggles and the pain that you guys are going through. And he promises this, this reconciliation, this redemption in the one he has raised up. And for the people of Israel here in this story, this is Moses. And for you and I today, this as the church, this is this is Jesus Christ. John, John gave a very powerful altar call last week when he talked about being set free from sin. And, and he invited people to come forward and, and respond and to say, yes, I, I, I need to be set free from this in Jesus Christ. And there were many who raised their hands and there were several who came forward. And, and I want to encourage you, if that was 
you last week or if, if you were wrestling with that last week, then continue to, to wrestle with that this week because this is how we have been made right with God is, is by, by giving our faith, putting our faith in the name of Jesus Christ. And if, if you've made any decisions along those lines, come talk with me, come talk with John, come talk with one of our leaders after the service because, guys, this is, this is core. This is fundamental to who we are. And, and receiving healing from our sin is knowing who our God is. And I'm grateful for John in giving us a powerful sermon, painting that picture last week. I'm, I'm grateful for so many of you, the conversations that I have, and getting to hear what you do in your lives we, that I get to see part of who God is whenever I hang out with you guys, which is part of why Sunday morning is so exciting to get to see what God is doing in each of your lives. We get to learn by being together more about who God is. So this is, this is the first part. We got to know who God is. The second part is, continues on in the chapter. God doesn't just remind us of who he is. He also reminds us of, of our identity, of who we are to him. In Exodus chapter 6, if you go back and look through several of the verses in verse 4, you see that as God is telling the people about who he is, they're also making statements about who they are. That In verse 4, as God tells them that, that he is their God, he, he shows them that he, he made them for that relationship, that he made them to be his people. That's, that is something to tell them about who they are. Verse 5, you see that if he's listening to them, if he's, if he's hearing their cries, if he's remembering their covenant, they mean something to God, that, that his people are valuable to him, that, that he has crafted them and he cares for them. In verse 7, you see literally, this, this is one of my favorite verses in, in all of Scripture, but he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. That the depth of which God desires us to know him and for him to be known by us, I will be your God. You will be my people. And even more interesting, too, in verse 9, you see that as Moses shares all this with the people, powerful, life-transforming truth, the people of Israel don't believe it. And they just, they can't understand it from Moses. And, it's, and Moses clues us in, he says, because of their broken spirit, and their harsh slavery. And George, I, I, as we kind of get into the holidays, sometimes that, that's the season where you almost feel this a little bit more. But in my conversations with, with many of you, some of you, this, this is the season of life you're in. You, you are wrestling with, with a broken spirit, with wondering, God, why are you doing what you are doing? And it's, you feel the, the brokenness and the tension because what is taking place is, your God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? And for some of you, you may be also struggling with the harsh slavery, with the fact that you have not yet been redeemed to God. You've not yet been reconciled to him. And so you're, you also struggle with the brokenness, but it's like even, even more overwhelming because, you know, I, I don't even know who this God is that you're talking about. So there's, there's all this wrestling that takes place, and, and Moses is showing us in the people, because of this, because their identity, who they were, was wrapped up in this, they, it's so closely tied to them that they're missing the truth. Guys, that is, that is not at all to belittle anyone's struggles or suffering or pain. But I encourage you, just as Moses did, that that is not 
who you are. That is not where your identity lies. One of the values we have here at the church is we value the image of God in ourselves and others. That what we, what we want to try to do in everything we do is to uphold life, all life. Because God gave us life to bear his image. And we recognize this, this image has been tainted in our sin. We don't live this out as, as we were supposed to because we've been broken away from him. And so we wrestle. We wrestle with this, this broken spirit of, God, you made me this way, but I'm really struggling with this. What do I do? We, we wrestle with the harsh slavery. God, I don't really even know who you are. I don't really even trust you. Or, or maybe you're like, I've, I've just never even heard about God and about Jesus. And, and I don't even know what all of this, what to do. And church, in, it's interesting in the same verses that God is teaching the people about who he is, he's also teaching them about who they are. That as God is talking to Moses, he's, he's tying these two things together, that, that we cannot know who we are apart from knowing who God is. That, that we can never understand what is taking place in our lives and, and all of who we are supposed to be if we don't know the God whose image we were made to bear. And I think it, in light of that, it makes sense why the people of Israel struggled so much. Because God told us, he told Moses in verse 3, I did not make my name known to them. They didn't really know all of who I was. So because they didn't really know all of who I was, they don't really know who they they are. They see themselves as broken and oppressed and beaten down. And they don't even believe that I am capable of redeeming the life that I have given to them. Church, we cannot understand and know who we are and what our, our life is to be about if we do not know who God is. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, which are verses John read last week. He says, since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, Christ is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul just, he ties this together. He says when our lives are in Christ, that brokenness, as John said, it does not exist anymore. That, that we do not have to choose to live in sin anymore. We start to understand who we are because we now know who God is. And so as we are preparing to celebrate by faith, what God has done for us in Christ, building up to Christmas Day. Church, we need to remind and encourage one another who you are in light of who God is. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but from these verses we see verse 4, we are a people made for life with God. The purpose that has been given to, to all of you, to me, to, to all, of, all of humanity, we were made for life with God. Verse 5, we see we are valued, we are cared for by God. God did not just, again, he didn't just cast us away. He desires us to be with him. Verse 7, 
We are literally the people of God. We were made to bear his image. Verse 8, we are cherished. We are chosen by God. And now we have been broken apart from this because of sin. But church, this is who we are when our faith is in Jesus Christ. And so that's why when John talked last week about being set free, man, what a life that we have been set free to live. So may God not only remind you in your hardships and your struggles of who he is, but as you know who he is, you will also know who you are. And the last piece, God also reminds us of what he's doing. So as we come to know his nature, as we come to know his identity, he reminds us, and, and, and again, you're going to see it's kind of a consistent theme in Exodus. He's, he's not getting very specific. God's not telling Moses every little detail of his plan, but he reminds him of the ultimate, the big picture work that he is doing, and that is a work of restoring his creation. In verse 1, you see God's, God's answer to Moses as Moses literally, let me just read the last two verses of chapter 5. These are Moses' words to God right before chapter 6, verse 1. Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Hear that frustration Church, many of us may echo that towards our God at times. Here's God's response to that. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. Now, he hasn't said anything about plagues, which, again, to give a little bit of a spoiler, that, that is coming next. He hasn't said anything about how hard or how difficult the life may be or not be or exactly where they're going. But what he has said is, I will deliver you. That whatever you are facing, I am still at work restoring you to me. Verse 6 through 8, he reminds them of this, this restoration work that he has promised he does. And, and, and we don't have... We don't have to read it today, but if you go back and look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, it's going to sound very similar to verses 6 through 8 right here. God is using some of the same language to his people to say, hey, remember what I told you? It still holds true that I will still deliver you, verse 6. I will still make you to be my people. I am still your God, verse 7. And verse 8, I am bringing you back into my presence. I'm bringing you into a relationship with me. And even as Israel doesn't listen and Moses doubts that Pharaoh will listen, verse 12, you see in verse 13, God just keeps repeating himself. He keeps saying, I am still about this work of deliverance. I am still about this work of restoration. My work will still go on. And now we come to the genealogy, which I told you is one of my favorite places to read through in the Old Testament. Here's why. The three... The three brothers that the genealogy traces are Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. If you know uh, a little bit of the, the history in the Old Testament from Jacob, or from the book of Genesis, Jacob had 12 sons. Reuben, Simeon, and Levi are the three oldest. And, and God's covenant that, that is right here, that, that God is making his people to be right with him, that they are his people, he is their God, he is making them into a great name and a great na nation, that's the, the blessing part attached with the covenant, 
that God gives that covenant to Abraham, it gets passed to Isaac, it gets passed to Jacob, and then it gets passed to Reuben. Except it doesn't get passed to Reuben. It should have gone to Reuben because Reuben was the firstborn son, but we learn in Genesis, uh, it's somewhere in the mid-30s, but Jacob recaps in 49, Reuben, he went and, and slept with one of his father's wives. And so Jacob says, there is no way you're getting the birthright for the wicked deed that you did. So then God's covenant would have gone from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Simeon. No, it's, it's not Simeon. Okay, Levi. Nope, not Levi. Simeon and Levi, borderline kind of worse than what Reuben did. They, they had a sister who was abused by a man, and so they called that family together. And they, they said, okay, we'll forgive you if you marry our daughter and as they or our, our sister. As they're getting ready for the, the, the celebration, they go and they kill every male in the city. And Jacob says, if you are capable of that, there is no way you are getting God's covenant blessing on you and your family. So the blessing actually goes to the fourth son, Judah, and it's out of Judah's line comes David, out of David's line comes Jesus, so God's covenant promise has passed over these men. But the blessing, what God does in the covenant, when he told Abraham, I will make you a great name, a great nation. Church, the faithfulness and the grace of God is on display. You see, these men have, have the blessing. They have families. They live long lives. They have tons of offspring that, that even though, they are some of the most wicked people in the Old Testament with some of the things that they have done. God is still faithful to let the blessing be in their family. And it is out of this, this messed up family tree you see Moses and Aaron come onto the scene. When all the way at the end, Moses, and he says, and just in case you're confused about is it a different Moses or Aaron, he says in verse 27, it is this Moses and this Aaron, the ones who are working to deliver God's people, that even, even in, in the, the wickedness of sin that was taking place in the family, God's ultimate work of restoration is still continuing. And God is still faithful to restore his people. And it's exactly what Carol read in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. That work continued in the birth of Jesus Christ. The angel Gabriel tells Mary, you are going to give birth to the Son of God, the throne of his father, David. He's going to have it, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Church, in this season of Advent, of, of, of preparation and of, of faithfulness, you, you may be in this place just like Moses. God, why are you doing this? God, I cannot stand this. Why is this evil happening? Oh, by the way, God, you aren't fulfilling the things that you've said. We see even in the genealogies of some men that did some very, very wicked things, God's ultimate work of restoration is still being accomplished. So to go back to the hope that John talked about last week, church, we do not, we are not waiting for a rapture for some hope to come eventually. We are living in that hope right now. And so here a couple ways we can respond to this this week as we remind ourselves of who God is, who we are to him, and this, this work. I, I, I want to 
to echo what John called you guys to last week, it may be for the first time that, that we have to submit to Christ. I mean, one of the things that Moses was talking about, people living under harsh slavery, you may have not heard that restoration and reconciliation are even possible for us. And, and I pray that we've heard it from the scripture that's been read, from the songs that have been sung, from, from this text that we've been studying in Exodus 6. And, and I, I want to invite you, if, if this is a decision that you do need to make for the first time, then, or if, if it was a decision that you felt stirred to make last week with John, come, come tell one of us so we can meet with you guys, go grab coffee, something this week. We could talk a little bit more about all this looks like because it's, it's far more than I can just cover in, in 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. But, but this is not a decision to, to, to wait upon. So I, I invite you guys to, to come talk with us about this today. Another way you can respond this week, church, for, especially if, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to read First Peter Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And note how Peter describes us as followers of Christ. We're reading in Exodus 5 and 6, there's not a lot of hope for what the people are going through. Read 1 Peter 2, 11 and see who we are in Christ. Chosen, chosen people, royal priesthood. It, it is amazing what we become in Christ. So encourage yourself, read that. Lastly, I want to encourage you guys, pray. Pray for God to prepare our hearts through faith for the life that he has set before us in image, as, as being his image bearers. If, if God is always at work reminding us of who he is and who we are to him and the work that he is doing, church prayer is one of the ways that we can just open ourselves up and be humbled to receive that. That in whatever we are going through, God is trying to show us something about who he is, who we are, and the work that he is doing. Prayer makes us be quiet and just tune out the distractions so we can be in his presence to hear from him. And actually, the, the last way to respond in is through communion, which I'm going to talk a little bit about before we take it. Um, I apologize. I I've, I've, was looking back over my notes on, uh, you know, on how we take communion here, and I realized there was, there was one piece that I needed to, to also share. Communion is also known as the Lord's Supper, is one of the sacraments that we take place in, uh, similar to baptism, a way of reminding us of who, and celebrating, uh, of who God is and what he has done in our lives. And so if, if you have been made right with God through Christ, I invite you to participate in this with us, because it is something that we are celebrating with together. And if, if you have not been made right with God through Christ, I, I want to ask you just during this time to just observe what is taking place. Because uh, Paul talks about in, uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, it's a serious matter. It, it's not just like, oh, we're taking a meal to enjoy something. No, we, we are reminding ourselves of what God accomplished, that, that we are sinners that have been broken apart from him, that through Christ's life and his death and his resurrection, his burial, his enthronement, that, that he has brought us back into a right relationship with God. And because of that, that fundamentally changes who we are. So I, I encourage you guys to come talk with us more about what does it look like to be a follower of Christ, but, but just observe as the communion plates are being passed around. So uh, I believe Tom and, is going to come forward and, and help us uh, as, as we distribute the communion. Um, I, this is also, to my knowledge, the first week we don't have the little 
uh, prepackaged things, so it may look a little bit more familiar to you guys. The ones in the middle, the wafers are gluten-free, but <laughs> as we take communion, um, excuse me, and as the band comes forward, guys, I, I want to uh, just remind you guys, let this be a moment of reflection, of being able to say, if, if this is the truth that I have heard today, God, then, then how do I need to respond to this? So, Lord, we, we open ourselves up before you. God, we have heard from your word today that you know exactly where we are at. God, you know the pain. You know the suffering. You know the joy. You, you know the good things. God, you know everything about us because you made us for life with you. And God, we see that as, as we have been so carefully, so intentionally, so wonderfully made for this life with you, God, that you are at work drawing us back to you, showing us who you are, showing us who we are to you, showing us this work of restoration that, that starts when we, we put our faith in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, but continues daily through the transformation of the Holy Spirit. So God, as we move into this time of communion, Lord, may we continue to, to reflect and to meditate on who you are, who we are to you, and the work that you are about. And it is in your holy name we pray. Amen.